Hello and welcome again to our uh, encounter study, however you're uh, accessing this, either through the podcast or through YouTube. Glad to have you here today. Um, before we get started, I wanted to highlight a couple things. The Cumberland Road podcast by TJ Malinowski is back in action uh, this week, or last week. Uh, Jeff McMichael was the guest, and then coming up very soon will be Tara Cisco. And so join them as they explore their faith journeys and how their ministries are in the Carmel Presbyterian Church and um, just learn a little bit more about our brothers and sisters in the denomination. Also, if you haven't yet, uh, we are having a Lent devotional, uh, denominational Lent devotional that is through the YAP app. You can find that in the iTunes store or you can find it on Google Play. You type in YAP app, that's Y-A-P-P-A-P-P. Download that and then it'll prompt you to enter in a YAP. And the YAP is CPC Lent, as, as in Cumberland Presbyterian Church Lent. So CPC Lent. And then we're gonna have basically on the Sundays of Lent, uh, Reverend Becky is doing a video devotional with a kind of a focusing thought question uh, to think about throughout the week. And then each day there are scripture readings and an additional question to think about uh, each day during Lent. So really, uh, Cool, cool little tool. Uh, it's something a little different than we normally do, so I encourage you to check that out. Also, you'll see we're wearing our Sermonator shirts, and the, I, this is great uh, because they're all different, but they're the same, and we're back, baby. We're back. Um, That's right. And before I continue on, I'm going to give uh, Reverend Becky and Pastor Logan an opportunity to uh, share um, their social media stuff, and then we'll get into our lesson. Becky, how about you? Absolutely. First. Join me uh, Mondays and Fridays on my YouTube channel. You can find me at Rebecca Zardi. That's Z-A-H-R-T-E for welcome back to my porch devotional videos. Logan? And you can join me every Monday uh, on the Monday Morning Megaphone podcast. Just go to wherever you get podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, Radio Public, type in the Monday morning megaphone, and you should you should see my lovely face or or one of our logos, um, and you will be able to listen to podcast episode podcast episode featuring uh, Chris and featuring Becky. Uh, I had Becky on the last season of the podcast. We talked about her journey into ministry, and then on the most recent episode of the Monday morning megaphone, I had Chris on as a guest, and we talked about his journey into ministry and some of the lessons and experiences that he learned uh, over 12 years in the pastor at the same church. So every Monday, Monday morning megaphone. All right. That's awesome. I appreciate it. And so uh, let's get in here. Um, our lesson is going to be from Luke chapter 10. It's entitled, Who is Our Neighbor? It's Luke 10, 25 through 42. These are, it, it encapsulates, I should say, two familiar stories from the gospel. And so we're going to look forward and get into the Good Samaritan and also the story of Martha and Mary serving Christ. And so um, our prayer for illumination today, saving spirit, as you gathered us in the wilderness and led us to a land flowing with milk and honey, gather us before your word and lead us into your wisdom that we might be equipped to follow your son on this Lenten path. Amen. All right. So our memory verse a little bit longer this time than it has been the last couple of weeks, but um, it's a very good memory verse and one that we're going to explore a little bit today. It's verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, 
Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. All right. So, Becky, tell us about your introduction. I like it. I can just imagine you in the yep. kitchen. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was definitely more of the Martha uh, and still I'm more of the Martha kind of personality. Um, our little country neighborhood in Midwest Wisconsin, we had dairy farms, family dairy farms everywhere, Christmas tree farms. And it wasn't often that we got new neighbors that moved in. And I was always the one who was ready and ready to go and welcome these new neighbors. And my poor mother, Holly, I, I apologize to my mom all the time for what she had to put up with with me. Because I always figured, you know, I was grown. I, you know, I was like 12. I could walk to the neighbor's house and meet these new people without my parents, you know, and my mom's like, no, you have to wait till I get home. Uh, we don't know who they are or, or what they're about. So you, we need to make sure you're safe. And I'm like, I'm a big girl. I can handle it myself. But, you know, so I would always make uh, my favorite cookies, Amish sugar cookies. Oh, gosh, those things are so good. Uh, and make a big plate of those and take them to the neighbor and welcome them to the neighborhood. And I'm sure they had all sorts of thoughts about this crazy young thing that was bouncing up to their door and going, hey, how are you? Welcome. You know, I'm sure they were, because most of them moved from the cities like Chicago. We had an area just outside of our little neighborhood where um, a lot of Polish people from Chicago kind of came to for for the weekends and whatever and so a lot of them came up out of Chicago and I'm sure they thought this gal is nuts <laughs> it's a cool thing That's me and Amy moved into our new home we had two neighbors bring us stuff and it's nice but it's I'm I'm one of the I mean I've said before I'm an introvert and so it's kind of weird for me when people are like hey here's some cookies I'm like thank you weird but yeah. neat and it does open trash up trash can fellowship <laughs> right so anyway um it's a good way of of showing hospitality though so yes yeah you know and that's one thing you know my husband and I have moved a lot and I will say that it's not very often and trying to think back in all the places that we've lived if ever that I've had somebody welcome me to a neighborhood the way that I welcome somebody else to a neighborhood. Um, you know, and I think, unfortunately, in our culture, um, that whole, because we have really instilled this fear of strangers, fear of other people, and that the whole idea of being neighborly sometimes can be a very foreign concept to us. Absolutely. I'll throw in one thing because I thought it was neat. I was doing some research for an encounter lesson a couple months back or whatnot, and I came upon uh, the Ben Franklin rule or something. Anyway, Benjamin Franklin said, if you really want to start off well uh, in a new neighborhood, go ask for something small from a neighbor you don't know. Like once you move in, just ask for something small, because what that does is, is invite that neighbor to be part of something, right? You know, you don't want to go asking for like a thousand dollars. But if you need like a tool because you can't find yours, just go ask your neighbor. And, and Ben Franklin said that would open up a chain of communication that otherwise you might not, not do, but allow your neighbor to do something for you. And so that's right. Receive hospitality. That's a really cool concept. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it works or not, but that's what Ben Franklin said. Everybody thinks he's pretty wise. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, Logan, did you ever have an experience or anything like moving to the neighborhood or just an act of hospitality that welcomed you? Um, well, I'm sure there have been, I'm sure there have been instances where uh, people welcomed us in the neighborhood. It's just that, you know, my wife and I, we've moved quite a bit too, just since we've been married. And uh, when I got, when I got to my first church, they welcomed us with open arms. They, they pulled out the welcome wagon for us, rolled out the red carpet, did everything they could for us. Um, and so they were, they were very welcoming uh, in that regard. Um, and so what we did uh, there is I noticed that, yeah, they welcomed me, but that's because I was their new pastor. Right. But they're not probably going to welcome other people coming into the neighborhood that they don't know or they're not related to since almost everyone up in that little region was related to one another somehow. Um, so what we did is we actually started a welcoming committee at church made of like two or three people. And what we did is we made up, uh, we made up a little fruit basket, put little gifts in it. We got a, we got like a, an ESV new Testament and slipped in there. And we would, and anytime someone moved into the neighborhood, we would go knock on the door, tell them who we were, tell them where the church was and give them a basket and say, welcome, call us if you need anything. And uh, so that's, that's what we did for other folks. And, and that's, um, that's a lost thing, actually. Yeah, it is because really? we don't yeah. know who our neighbors are. Yeah. Um, I, I have a friend who's, uh, I have a friend who's a Christian. He's, he loves Jesus. I, I think he's kind of eccentric, but those are the fun ones, right? Uh, but he, he told me, he said, I really don't think we're, we're doing, I don't, I really don't think we're living the greatest commandment. And I said, how so? And he said, well, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, mm -hmm. we, he said, how can you love your neighbor if you don't even know who lives next door to you? Yeah. And that's true. And I, and I know we look at that passage and think, well, neighbor is just a generic term for everyone around you. Yeah, everyone around you, including the people who live right, right next, next door to you. Right. So, yeah. you know. It's easy, I, man. I've thought about it. Like, if my neighbors weren't kind of persistent, I wouldn't know them. And I hate that. Yeah. So, um, I've tried in the last couple. I know all my neighbors now. Unfortunately, one of my neighbors moved, and I've got new neighbors, and I haven't yet reached out i do wave when i go check them out but it's, it's hard actually you know it, it is we it have is. a lot of we live in, yeah we live kind of in a secluded area right now uh where there's trees and stuff around us so we we have neighbors but they're not exactly close by yeah uh they're kind of a hop skip and a jump away uh so but, but we still probably need to make an effort to go out there and tell people who we are because we've been living here for almost a year yeah yeah it's a thing and I, and and i think what it is too it's just we have some preconceived notions of what people like or don't like if we're imposing or whatnot and i think um that yeah. probably gets us into the into the scripture passage at least for the good Samaritan yeah. side we all we all have these things going on in our head that either help us to reach out or that you know, builds up a wall to keep us in. And yeah, so, it keeps us, yeah. Jesus is exploring that. Um, hopefully the reasons why we don't reach out are not as nefarious as some of these that Jesus cite, but I mean, to be cognizant of it and be aware that just because we don't mean to be, we could be those arrogant people that pass people in need. 
right? So, mm-hmm. um, so that then does lead us to the exploring the scripture part. So Becky, tell us what you got here. Yeah, the exploring the scripture. So there's a lot of interesting information about Jericho versus Jerusalem and uh, where they were located and how literally it was downhill, all downhill, all the way to, to Jericho. But the big one I want to point out in here is Samaria itself. Um, Samaria was the Northern Kingdom. Um, they were originally part of the 12 tribes, but then when they fell to Assyria in 722, they became kind of this mix of people that did not feel that they had to come to Jerusalem. And if you know anything about scripture, you know that the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans, that they were just almost like worse than dogs. They were just, you did not deal with these kind of people at all. And yet here it was in our story today that Jesus highlights the good and upright person as the Samaritan. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levite. It wasn't the ones that they would consider morally upright because they served in the temple and they served God. It was this person that they wouldn't have had the time of day for. I mean, they wouldn't have talked to him. They certainly had rules against eating with anybody outside of the Jewish culture. Um, And it was this person that Jesus chose out of all, I mean, think about all the cultures that were there in Jerusalem. You had the Romans, you had all these different tribes that would have been visiting Jerusalem, and, and yet it was the Samaritan that Jesus chose to highlight. Out of all the people, he picked the one that they thought the worst of. Right, and so by saying that, Jesus was purposeful. I mean, he yes. meant it. Like, he wasn't trying to just condemn the religious leaders that didn't like him. He wasn't trying to get back at the priest who maybe misunderstood the the Messiah. He was he was leveling this at a whole group of people saying, your attitude's bad about this. And so he uplifts uh, the Samaritan and says, in fact, these people you look down on, they sometimes are more moral and God-fearing than you are. And what a blow that had to be to those people that were listening. Can you just imagine how that would have went over? Um, I, I don't think that. Um, I think the end of the story is they crucified him. So it does not go over well <laughs> here. Uh, they don't appreciate Jesus as much as you might well, think. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. you know, this goes back to what we discussed <laughs> last week about how Jesus said to the centurion, they're, they're, I've never seen this great of faith even in Israel. Yes. So th- this is just another example of Jesus showing that, number one, he's, he's making a way for those who are outside the covenant to come into the covenant. And he's showing that sometimes those inside the covenant are not right with God. Right. Um, I would say, since we've been in the book of Luke now for how many ever months, that's one of the, yeah. one of the characteristics of the book of Luke up uplifting those interactions with the Samaritans or the Gentiles or whatnot in his gospel so that you, you can see that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and, and mm-hmm. intends to bring in all people. Um, uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that uh, that's one of the things that in the, uh, I think we promoted it in the first few episodes that we went through Luke, but that's one of the things that the author brings out in the uh, teach the text Bible commentary uh, for, for the gospel of Luke. That's one of the things he really does a good job of highlighting in his commentary. Yeah. 
And it's important. I think that's an important thing as we study Luke to know that it was not written to the, the normal click mm-hmm. or the group. It was, it was trying to highlight this outward focus. Um, mm-hmm. So um, the discussion question, we, we, we thought this would be pretty good to think about because heavens knows we all have, um, we all have probably memories or illustrations of this, but the discussion question yeah. is, can you share a time when you stop to help someone why did you stop? What were your emotions? And I think the reverse is true. When was the time you didn't stop to help someone? Yes. Why didn't you? And what were your emotions, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Becky, what led you to yeah. put that question in there? I have so many stories. Of course, growing up in Midwest Wisconsin, you know, sliding off the edge of the road is um, part of learning how to drive up there. Um, and, and, and what happens when you slide off the edge of the road and there's always people that are willing to stop and willing to help you. And I think growing up in that culture, that was very normal to me. When you've seen somebody that slid off the edge of the road, you, you stopped, you asked them, were they okay? Did they need help? You know, a lot of times they'd already call the wrecker to come and pull them out or, or friends were on the way or whatever, but you stopped, you stopped to make sure that they were okay and that they didn't need anything. But then as I got older and I moved further south, it was, you know, people would say, don't, don't do that. Don't stop uh, for people on the side of the road. You don't know, you know, my favorite one is what if they're an ax murderer and they're, (laughs) they're going to kidnap you and kill you. I mean, you know, and I'm like, okay, most of the time it's somebody who, who did not, uh, was not an axe murderer. They just, I would say that the percentages are low, but pretty, pretty low, pretty low, you know, but I've been on both sides of that I've been on the side of people that have stopped to help me and how much I appreciated that when I was in a time of need. Um, of course, before cell phones, um, that I really needed some help and people would stop and either help me change tire or pull me out of the ditch or whatever it happens to be. But I've also been on the giving end of that where I have stopped to make sure that somebody else was okay. And maybe I can't help you change a tire, but I can call somebody, you know, and, and whatever it happens to be. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I think of was my parents had relocated to Southern Missouri. And my dad, it was dark. Um, it was after dark. It was probably 10, 11 o'clock at night. They were on the way home. It was really rainy outside. And I think think he had like a blown out tire. I'm trying to remember the story. I think it was a blown out tire and he needed to use a phone to call somebody because he didn't have whatever he needed to, to fix us. And my dad is, is a big dude. Um, you know, he's like six foot three at that time. He was like pushing 350 pounds. He's an ex Navy SEAL. He's kind of a big burly guy. And he said he walked up to this house and he knocked on the door and like the, the woman inside the house opened the door like this much and she wouldn't even let him come in. Like she'd let him use the phone, but she slid it out the crack of the door because she was afraid, you know, and my, if you know my dad, my dad's like one of the biggest teddy bears I've ever met in my life. He's overly emotional. He just loves people. But because of the way he looked, she was like, uh-uh, here, you know, I'll slide you the phone out the door and that's it, you know? And how many times do we do that? In, in our daily life that we look at someone and have this preconceived notion of who they are, what they're like, what their attitude is, uh, 
you know, we, we already have all this stuff made up in our, our mind when we don't even know who this person is. How about you, Logan? You got any experiences there that? Uh... Yeah, well, I've got an experience of when I helped someone and I've got several experiences of when I didn't help someone. Yeah. Um, what, my grandparents were, or my grandpa was in the hospital in Little Rock and um, my wife and I were taking my grandma back and forth to see him. And this was just when COVID was first getting started. So we couldn't, we couldn't stay at the hospital or anything like that. Um, so we were going home for the night and we stopped at David's Burgers in Conway and there was a gas station next to David's Burgers. And we ate, we ate and then we got gas and then um, we ate and then we got gas. And then as we were getting gas, uh, there was this man who approached me who was clearly experiencing homelessness. And uh, he said, hey, bud, um, I'm homeless and I'm cold uh, and I'm hungry. Uh, do you have any money? And I was like, yeah, I just pulled a five out of my pocket and I pointed him to David's burgers. And that was it. Uh, and then there's been several times where people have approached the car while I've been in the car and I, you know, I see him coming and I just immediately lock the windows of the doors because I have, I have those preconceived notions and safety is my first instinct. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and whether you like it or not, that's just, that's just what it is. Safety is your first instinct. Uh, so that, uh, there have been instances where, I don't know, there's, there's sometimes where when someone approaches you for help or, you know, someone needs help, you just have this overwhelming feeling that you've got to help them and you can't shake it off. And I think sometimes that's really the Holy spirit nudging, nudging your heart and moving you to do something. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend who said that this guy approached him at a gas station and told him he was cold and homeless. And my friend actually went and bought him a, a hotel for the night. Uh, and then, you know, there was a whole, there was a whole lot of uh, stuff uh, in that situation. Like, like he really wanted to help the guy, but the guy turned out to be just taking advantage of him. And he tried to charge his card for like room service and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> but yes. yeah, that's, so there, you gotta there's be people careful. of all kinds. Yeah, like with me, Becky, you brought up some things. Sometimes when I have to, like, it depends on how stressed I am. And, and I'll say this, like, you can go broke as a minister trying to help people. Yes. You really can, like, absolutely can go broke. And I, there was at one point, my wife had to say, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, true, you know, you don't worry about tomorrow, but we're saving nothing for retirement. And we're giving, I mean, just, you know giving money around everywhere but man I can if I'm in a situation like y'all are talking about like let's say that there's a, a young lady that's broke down on the side of the road here's what goes through my mind I need to help that person what if she thinks I'm an expert <laughs> right like, <laughs> what you know am I going to scare her by doing this or like or then you know if I see somebody I'm like okay well the Lord would want me to do this right and so we have all these things that either from our inside that we feel or externally so I kind of came up in my mind, Logan, kind of what you said, if this, if I feel like it, I, I do it. If I don't feel like I'm called to do it, I don't stop and I don't help. Um, so anyway, I, um, I'm not sure exactly. It's a case by case basis with me. Sometimes I can tell that even when I help, I'm doing it out of a sense of spite almost. Um, 
there have been times when like somebody has come to the church and, and I've told my secretary, like, just deal with that. Give them money. I don't, I don't want to deal with this today. And that's also not, that's not what Jesus was going for here either. Just to, so anyway, that right. those are my, right. I'm sorry, guys. My dog is like whining. Well, he really wants to see a part. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, that, I will be, I will be right back. I have to deal with my dog. Take care of him. Um, so, this is the joys of recording from home and not offices. Yes. So anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's where I get, I mean, like the sense, of, like I could, I've, I've always said I could be a good Pharisee and I don't want to be, mm-hmm. but I could just be a good one. I could be any of these characters right. at any point in time, actually. Uh, so I don't know. All right. So you got anything else to add on that right there? I don't think so. I think that's something for us to you know really really think about yeah why we help you know why and why we don't what goes on inside of us what goes on you know outside of us um so on the digger digging deeper uh section tell me what you got well again you know jesus using the samaritan as um a not my people group. I, I love that thought process there, that not my people group. How many times do we see Samaritans in our life? And Chris, I think you brought up a good point. You know, being a Pharisee is um, almost part of the easier part. It's almost an easier path um, because we get to think inside of our, our own sphere and we don't have to be uncomfortable walking outside of that, that sphere. And, but this is what Jesus is really challenging here in this story is these preconceived notions, these preconceptions that we have about who our neighbor really is. And he continues that thought process, I think, interestingly, with the story of Mary and Martha. Because um, here you have this person, this Mary, who's wanting to mature Um, But Martha, who is so consumed with her preconceived notions of what's right and what she should be doing, and she gets upset um, and and Jesus says, you know, what what Mary has chosen um, isn't going to be taken away from her because she's chosen the right thing. And for women... for women, this is a really difficult and not just, I guess I shouldn't just say just for women because it's in our culture, we exemplify and we honor those that work themselves to the bone. Um, you know, the harder you work, the more hours you put in, the more dedicated you are. These are the honorable characteristics that we really look at in our particular culture. Um, I know there's studies that have been done that People in the United States of America work more hours than just about every other country. Um, And we're also unhealthy (laughs) and all the stuff that goes along with that, extremely stressed, deal with a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, But this is what we, this is what we honor is this person who works, 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 works. And yet you have this person who wants to be discipled and really sit and learn at the feet of Jesus Uh, And again, another challenging because women were not 
allowed to be students, disciples in this time period, and Jesus is allowing her to be a disciple and welcoming that. Um, so that's another challenging the status quo, but it also challenges us today. Yeah, so just on the offshoot, one of you brought up something that sociologists have and historians have thought about a lot. One of the reasons as to why we have this in America could very well be what we call the Protestant work ethic to where it was kind of brought in with the Presbyterians, like, right? So if you were of the elect, you were being, you were going to be blessed. And so it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you had, the more you confirmed your election. And so you would have these people that would work endlessly and make sure they were that middle class, upper middle class, and they had the things because if they were, then they were of the elect, right? And so mm -hmm. um, the Protestant work. Right, well, we, went, we see that today. Absolutely. Uh, we see that today with, you know, you don't see it as much with Cumberland Presbyterians, uh, but we, but you see it with like the really hyper reformed folks and in, in like the PCA and in like the, uh, the CREC, uh, those guys. So, you know, a lot of those guys, they got like five, six, seven, eight kids and they're upper middle class and their, their work ethic is really good. But because they're upper middle class, they don't really understand the struggles of, well, someone like me, for example. And they would probably even look down on someone like me right. um, because, you know, it's just me and my wife and dog. And we don't we don't have we don't have a dozen kids and we're living in a two bedroom, one bath house. So, yeah, so, but I think it I, I think it was so ingrained that thought, yes. I think it is in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We don't say it because we're elect, but we do think we're blessed by God. And if we work harder, mm -hmm. I mean, it's that, it's the, who hasn't said, you know, God helps those who help themselves. It's that mentality that, you know, we're yes. working really hard. It's all, you know, we do everything, whatever we can't do, God will do the rest kind of thing. And so um, it's just in us. And, and what I would say with Martha and Mary, it's not just women, as you said, but it's with preachers because mm -hmm. it was, it's hard for me as an introvert to be emotional and caring or at least express those things. It was really easy for me to check off the boxes of my responsibilities as a preacher. Like probably the easiest way I could show somebody that I cared deeply about them or wanted, you know, was to do something for them. But like, I just, I struggled when it just came to sitting down and talking and being in the presence. I just had to do something that was less intimidating for me. It was, um, and, and so also, I think that's the way it works in our, our faith a lot of ways. Like if we can be about doing something and not have to think, then we don't have to think about ourselves either. Yeah. We don't have to think of our shortcomings or failures because look at all we're doing. Um, right. And so I think that's the, that's the scary part of these like Martha Mary situations is you have to, you have, to have a balance because mm -hmm. you don't want to be a lazy person either um mm -hmm. and just sit around all day and soak up the sun and never give anybody shade right I mean, you know wait so um <laughs> yeah so that there's an in-between there but uh, i'll say this i'd be a great pharisee i would have been so good i would have done it with all my heart <laughs> yeah all my strength. I, I think there is a balance between the being and the doing and that and that's what we're trying to strike you know um modern um 
modern psychology, sociology, business classes will tell you that there's a work-life balance um, and that a lot of industries are trying to find that work-life balance. And I think the same is true here um, between Martha and Mary. You have, there was a balance between taking care of the responsibilities, but also being a disciple and, and learning and maturing in your faith. Yeah. And actually when I'm thinking about this, um, when you go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and he, and Jesus asked, you know, or the lawyer asked, what's, what must I do and inherit eternal life, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, in verse 27, you, sh you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. I mean, essentially, maybe that's the, are you loving God with all your heart? Maybe that's the Mary, right? Mary is, is mm -hmm. intentionally being with Jesus, maybe with all your soul, mm -hmm. there's some, but with all your strength, maybe that's Martha, right? Maybe that's the Martha, Martha yeah. that we, we do and we perform. And then loving yourself or loving God with all your mind is that, like we've talked about in the past on this, it's keeping your mind right. And what is it we said, Logan, logicking, logically through. Logicking uh, through something. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, meditating and chewing on these things. And so, yeah. Um, maybe we have that illustration here, like uh, with Martha and Mary and the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Logan, what you got on that digging deeper well, part? Well, I think um, I think whenever Jesus answers him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart," it, it kind of reminds me of whenever the the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, "Well, what mm -hmm. shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he and instead of and instead of saying you shall love the Lord your God, he lists off the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. uh, either way, I think. Either way, I think um, that both of these questions. Well, I think they were wrong. I think they were wrong questions to start with in terms of eternal life. Wrong heading, for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, because if you ask what what do I need to do, Jesus is going to give you. Well, he's going to give you the law. And, well, the problem with the law is you can't keep it. It's there to be your standard. It's there to show you how you should live. But you can't keep the law in and of yourself. And so, uh, you, can't, and, so, and so you can't really inherit eternal life on your own through your own merits. You need Jesus. And so you're always going to be asking yourself, if you just, if you just take this passage at face value with looking at, without looking at the deeper meaning, you're always mm -hmm. going to be asking yourself, well, do I love God enough? And guess what the answer is mm -hmm. always going to be? Yeah. No. Yeah. And so you have to understand uh, what's really being said here. You have to understand that Jesus is using the law to show you your need for, for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And to develop that, to develop that love. And so it's going to be through, um, it's going to be through what Mary's doing. Mm -hmm. that meditation with and that drinking in of Christ day by day becoming a little bit more uh, like Christ and it doesn't happen mm -hmm. by action it does happen with devotion and action right mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. a, not an right. either, either or thing so and one of the things that Dallas Willard says in the great omission is that uh, Whenever we, whenever we think about doing these things, of, of whenever we think about uh, positioning ourselves to, to chase after God in the spiritual disciplines, 
we're so afraid that we'll fall into works righteousness that mm-hmm. we paralyze ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Willard, Willard says that, yeah, we're saved by grace, but I feel like sometimes we're paralyzed by it. Yeah. Uh, and what we don't understand is that grace is opposed to earning, yeah. but it's not opposed to effort. Yeah. That's good. And then That's also, good. like, you've maybe you've had a friend or something in the past and they do something that's completely out of character and you don't, you don't know. And I think maybe in a way, grace changes your character by which you do things that are in that character. Like you begin to change. And so uh, just as if somebody acts out of character, uh, so we act into character a lot of times Mm. when grace is born in our hearts, we begin to let Mm. that flow instead of uh, acting out of character, you know, so there's a fundamental, and that happens with that relationship with Christ, and then those works just naturally follow in a sense, but, sure. and then at some point, though, you do have to tell yourself just to do something, like, stop being lazy, just do it, right, and then, and right. then it works a little bit yeah. there, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the reflection question, and I think this is a really good one, what is the most revolutionary, tradition-challenging action you have ever witnessed? Were you, uh, were you for the change or against it and why? And what about now? Becky, what were you thinking when you wrote that? I think you had said that you know, Mary <laughs> sitting at Jesus' feet was certainly yeah. a thing. But revolutionary and uh, tradition challenging for me, obviously, I think women in ministry was a very tradition challenging concept for me to get over coming from a denomination where women um, were not a part of the leadership culture and taught against women being in that kind of a position that when I met someone who was, I really had to pray and read and study through that sitting at the feet of Jesus to understand that Jesus invited all of us into discipleship. It wasn't just one specific group that we could all be a part of this discipleship and that he calls us to leadership within the, within our, our sphere, wherever it is that we're going to be, that he can call men and he can call women just as much, um, into that leadership. And that was, that was a huge hurdle for me to, to get over. And I had to get to that point where I understood that women could be in that kind of a role. And it wasn't, but a year later that I felt the call to the ministry, but I had to get over that first before I could even consider accepting that call. Logan, anything that you saw or have seen or experienced that you would consider revolutionary or tradition challenging? Well, um, I grew up in in the Pentecostal world, and we had women preachers and pastors. And until I got older and started looking at other theological perspectives, I didn't realize that women in ministry, number one, was a big deal. And number two was actually a more liberal position. So it's weird. Women preaching is on either end of the spectrum. It's the middle church that most of the time struggles with women preaching. It's either the ultra conservatives are cool with women and the ultra liberals are cool with women preaching. It's those as the more you get in the center, it's the strangest thing is the harder it gets. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Uh, but no, that's I'm I'm really trying to think here. Um, I went to this AG church one time, and the pastor there uh, was trying to do some new and innovative stuff uh, with the church and trying to get it to grow. And uh, they had already been through, you know, the worship wars of the 80s and 90s, and they had fought that battle. And and now they were doing a mix of contemporary music and hymns to satisfy everybody, right? Um, so they had, you know, and of course, when you do that, nobody's happy. But but they had, but that's what they had settled on. And uh, this pastor, the next the next thing he had to jump through was trying to figure out how to do small groups in the church. Mm-hmm. Well, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night Bible study. And he didn't know how to sell them on the idea of doing small groups. So what he told them was, uh, from now on, we're not doing Sunday night services. We're just going to do small groups on Sunday nights. Uh, and we will have a couple here at the church, and we'll have some meeting in other people's homes. And... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just do small groups on Sunday nights. And I had invited my grandparents to come to church with me that Sunday morning, partly because I knew that he would be announcing that. And I wanted to see how my very uber traditional grandparents would respond to them doing away with Sunday night services in lieu of small groups. And believe it or not, my grandparents who are in their seventies were like, Oh, Oh, okay, that's fine. I mean, they're doing something. <laughs> so uh, that was, I was really wanting them to be like, well, that's not, that's not godly or that's not how we do it or, you know, things <laughs> like that. You get surprised. I just wanted to hear them grumble and complain. Which is right. most of the time. Um, right. So my, there wasn't any one thing, I guess, uh, that I can say it changed me this. So there was a lady who worked at the Bible college. Her husband was a professor there. Her name was Mary Lou, Mary Lou Martin. She will be leading people to heaven. Like whenever the consummate, she will be because she's that awesome of a person. Um, But we would talk, we worked together in the cafeteria. She volunteered at the Bible college. So, you know, they didn't, we tried at very best to keep our, tuition low and one of the ways is they relied heavily on volunteers in the in the community but anyway she told me about at the time I guess when when I was there she was probably 72 73 already I think she's about 95 96 now but um she told me that when she went to Kansas State University she had come from a farm family right and so like made her own clothes very plain Jane think of Little House on the Prairie literally um, and yeah. so she got to this university, which was a big city for her. And she said, one of the, I call them icebreakers, which I'm deathly afraid of. Um, but an icebreaker for the college at that time was the freshman class would be in the gym and a, on the gym, there would be, uh, signs, descriptive words. So like one would say radical, one would say joyful, one would say revolutionary, whatever. And so then they asked the students in the incoming class to go to the words that described them, that they thought described them best. And so anyway, uh, Mary Lou, farm girl, who was wearing her handmade clothes, went to, she said, I went to radical. 
And um, then they would kind of, everybody would get a chance to say, here's why I went to this, um, this place, this sign. And so when it came to Mary Lou, Mary Lou said, I, you know, I don't have short hair. I don't have earrings. I don't have these things, but I follow Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you that's more radical than any, anybody else. And, and I thought, you know, that's oh, no. it, man. And, and that has stayed with me. And so when I think this, someone who practices, who actually, it's the good Samaritan, it's the Mary, mm-hmm. it's the people who practice these things and face, you know, and face the culture and say, I'm not part of that. Here's the real thing. And I have remembered right. that story. And she just said it offhand. She wasn't trying to teach me anything. We were just talking. And uh, 25 years ago, whatever it was, when I heard that, and I thought, I want wow. to be that radical person by following, by following Christ. And, and man, and she did. And, and she, she told me that story uh, probably the first year I was at the college. And then those three years, I've never met a woman like her ever. Um, and just on that, this is kind of a fun story. Um, she was real big into getting students over to China to teach English for the summer. And it was kind of her ministry anyway. Again, you got to Mary Lou, 72 at that time, 72 years old and probably 85 pounds soaking wet. Um, she, over the years, had just gotten, um, she's just the person who draws people to Christ. Anyway, one of the last years that she went to China, the, the program knew that it was going to be the last year or so that she was there. Anyway, she ended up in one of the high ranking Communist Party officials house because their mom was a Christian. And so they sent to pick her up in a limousine, took her to this house of this communist party, China leader to talk to his mom about Jesus. And like, you know, how does that happen? But it's just, she, that's her life. She was so radical and revolutionary and who knows like her ministry in China, it's the fastest growing Christian region. uh, And I, and I'd like to think she's part of that. And she was definitely countercultural. So she's my hero. Wow. There, That's a beautiful a story. Oh, yeah. There's a post on Facebook that goes around every once in a while. And every time I see it, I share it. But it says, do you want to be rebellious? Then get married, have a family, and go to church. Go to church, right. Yeah, that's it. That's the meme. And, and Mary Lou, man, she did it to me. She just preached that and taught that and just lived that. And so I hope one day, wow. I'm not as beautiful as Mary Lou, but hopefully one day somebody can be like, that was revolutionary in some way, shape, or form. Wow. Um, all right. Anybody else? That's amazing. If not, we'll go to the learning from the scripture, witness of the church. Becky, give me a quick recap there. You know, we're looking at Jesus challenged the value system that was in place then. And how much Jesus challenges the value system that we have in place today. It's the same thing. Jesus continues to challenge us on how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us and how we interact with it. Do we interact with it on a personal bias or do we try to look at the world through the eyes of Christ and And love our neighbors truly as ourselves? And with that, I think God challenges our, understand, our assumptions of material. And 
um, our yes. jobs and that Protestant work ethic. I don't, I don't think it was a hundred percent healthy. And so I think the story of Martha and Mary says, what are we working for? Or the story right. of the Samaritan says, what are your inner prejudices or your inner um, yeah. things that keep you from developing a full relationship with, with Christ? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Logan, I'm going to ask you this question first because you're in... Oh, no. Yeah, no, well, I mean, just you're, well, I guess we all are in a pretty homogenous church, but I know you are. I mean, like rural Arkansas is probably as homogenous as it gets. So yeah. how diverse is the community in which your church building sits? How well does the uh, membership of your congregation reflect that? Why or why not? Um, well, we are so white that I'm not even sure we would know what um, someone who's not white looks like. <laughs> I mean, you so, never, yeah. I mean, and it's just not like, I, you know, like I told you on the podcast, it's, it's not a knock against us. It's just it's what it is. The, like we, we're up on, we're up on a mountain that kind of is cornered between three cities uh, we're, we're right in between Russellville, Pottsville and Atkins. And it's like Whitey McWhite, Whitey McWhiteface around there. Yeah. Um, it's just who we are. And there's, there's just nobody who's not white that lives around there. So let me ask this to go a little bit further though. I mean, let's see, I, I would assume in a lot of places in Arkansas, you might have one or two people that have like the, the farm or some industry or whatnot. And then maybe you have more amount of the people that are you know um a little less economically advantageous so how how does the diversity in that sense well most of the farmers um like whenever we think of farmers we think of kind of poor people who live in small houses that have a big vast amount of property with crops and animals and stuff the farmers who live around there do really well um like it's it's crazy like you you could probably make more money being a farmer in arkansas than you could working on an oil rig in texas yeah uh how are the dynamics in your church and how do, how do, is there a barrier either obviously probably not racial because like you said you're in arkansas but is there a barrier at all that y'all have to work through with economic class or or is everybody about the same oh no man like we have different, like it, it's different economically. Like my wife and I are different economically than a couple of families in the church. And, it, and they know that we're different, but there's no barrier there. Like it, it doesn't get brought up. No one says anything. So why and, is that anything? Because that's not like that in every church. I have no idea. Uh, honestly, I think it's just real. I think it's just because people are, if, if I'm just being honest, is, I think it's just because people at my church are nice. <laughs> what I'm going for here is that there is a compassion. That's good. There's a compassion element, right? Like, yeah, it's very easy if we're not centered in Christ to look down on people. Right. It's just and crazy, so. well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I bring, I bring up my first church a lot, man, but I've got a lot of stories to tell uh, just from that year and a half that I was there. Uh, we, my wife and I were different economically than the other people there. They were more 
they were more uh, middle class, upper middle class than we were. Um, and we knew it. And mm. you could feel it every time you talked to someone, every time you went around them, every time you could just feel it. Uh, we don't really get that feeling at, at, our, at our church now. Like it's, it's the same situation. There's families there that are doing much better than we are, but we don't, we don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. And it's like, and it's like no one, it, it's like, no one's like going around, like at, at, at my first church, no one was going around throwing their money around. Yeah. Uh, no one was going around, you know, reminding you how much money they made. But there was just a, there was just an unspoken I'm better than you vibe. Mm. And that's the things that happen if you, if you're not attentive, right? You don't necessarily mean to have it. You don't necessarily Mm -hmm. even know you're doing that. And, and the only Mm -hmm. way that you connect is just a a constant examination of self. And, and that's, well, you know, and I feel like, and I feel like there's a lot of that um, in the, well, okay. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, I feel like that's something that some folks in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church struggle with because I'm, sure. um, Lots I'm of having to, because like for, for my educational requirements, uh, part of my educational requirements is that I have to have a, an associate's degree. Normally it's a bachelor's in my case, it's an associate's and I won't get into the details of why, but I have to get an associate's degree and I don't have any college under my belt. Well, every time I bring up to someone that I can't afford it, they don't, they, it's like that doesn't process with them. And they're like, okay, well, then why don't you get financial aid? Because for some reason, the government says I make too much money to, to get financial aid when I clearly don't. Um, And it's like, that doesn't process with it. So every time I say, well, I, I can't afford to go to college, their response is, oh, well, you're smart enough to do this. Right. Well, yeah, I realize I'm smart enough to do it, but that doesn't solve the financial problem. Right, right. So yeah. we do. And not everybody wants to get student loans and be in debt for the next. Right. Month. I'm not right. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to put myself in debt just to get a two-year degree to fulfill educational requirements for something that I'm already doing. <laughs> it there's always a struggle on on these things. Yes. So like. Yeah. And, and we don't, again, I don't think it's done on purpose, but we, we don't share, we're not connected. We may not share the same concerns that other people have. And that's, that's the hard part. But yeah. what we try to do is to be aware. Again, I think that's what the, what the point of this, the Good Samaritan story is, is to be aware mm-hmm. and to be connected with Christ, to overcome these, you know, things that hold us back from, mm-hmm. but we, we have our struggles, uh, for sure, in the church. Yes. Um, let's go to the applying the scripture section. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, Logan, you brought up at first. Well, Becky, you go first and tell us what you got. Yeah. And then, Logan, I'll say hit up on that first uh, line. I think that applying the scripture is really understanding what Jesus was telling the audience then and how much it challenges us today and to really soak that into our own self 
in our own context wherever we are to understand that we need to look past our preconceived notions of what's going on in the world, that we need to personally look past our preconceived notions of socioeconomic differences, of racial differences, of uh, whatever differences your community may hold and understand that Jesus is inviting all of us into a relationship with him. Um, and I think that's where we are with applying the scripture. So let me ask this question right quick. No, actually, no, I won't. I'll wait. How about, uh, <laughs> Logan, you, you had thought about this first, first sentence that I grew up yeah, in. Yeah, where you said that you grew up in a denomination that valued Martha much more than it did Mary, that kind of made me think of uh, some of the struggles that our Southern Baptist friends are having right now with mm -hmm. the issue of women in ministry. Um, because the, you know, I, I, like I said before, the way I grew up when women being in ministry was just a given, it's mm -hmm. not something that I really had to think about until I got, until I got older and started looking at different theological perspectives. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because of that, it wasn't something that I really thought I had to defend either. It was just two plus two equals four and a woman can be a pastor. So, <laughs> So that's just how I grew up. And then yeah. later, um, as I later, as I got out of the Pentecostal world, I went I went into a Baptist church for a little while and I found out, oh, this is this is very different uh, because of their views on women and because of their views on on women in ministry. Um, so. I'm, I'm really my heart goes out to women in the Southern Baptist convention or in a Southern Baptist church who feel like they might be called to teach or preach mm -hmm. and they can't because mm -hmm. whether it's, whether they want to admit it or not, there is a form of, there is a form of misogyny and sexism that goes on. Uh, and what it comes down to is that they value Martha much more than they do Mary. Yes. Um, I'll give you an example. Like this is a real life example. Whenever I was attending this Baptist church plant that I was a part of for a little while, we had, uh, we had small groups. And on the first Friday night of the month, we would go over to one of the elders houses that rotated and we would do, we would do this, the small group stuff. I think one, at one point we were going through the uh, Baptist catechism and, um, uh, afterwards it was just like no one no one told no one told anybody to do this no it was just naturally set up this way after small group was over uh the the men stayed in the living room and discussed theology and the women would go in the kitchen and they would discuss other things they would discuss recipes they would discuss fashioned thing womanly typically womanly things right and their, no their one, husbands they would discuss well, their husbands <laughs> or sometimes their husbands right but but the thing was no one no one said that this is how it had to be that just naturally worked itself out that way and so what happened was we had a woman who came in um she was actually a good friend of mine and i invited her to the small group we had a woman who came in who was like who 
was probably in her mid forties, I guess. And she was very well read in scripture. She was very well read in theology. Um, and after small group was over, she went into the kitchen with the women and tried to talk theology with them. And it was just nothing. It was like crickets. And it was because women were taught that they had, like instinctually, they were taught that they had to be Martha's instead of Mary's. You're not a good woman unless you're in the kitchen making a sandwich, popping out three or four kids, making sure your husband's slippers are ready for him when he gets home from work. You're, you know, I'm honestly, I'm surprised some of these churches even think that women should be allowed to read. (laughs) They're... Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, and Becky, I think you kind of brought that up in the discussion question from learning the scripture, actually, uh, just mm-hmm. the ways in which we, we, we fall into this, and it's hard to get out of all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so the last discussion question there was, when, when has studying at the feet of Jesus changed your thinking? Uh, how, you, how do you view your neighbor? I think, Becky, you've, you've said... One of the things that you had to get over was women in the ministry. Yep. And not just being the worker, right? Or not right. being yep. in charge of all the things that the men don't want to do. Uh, right. But you you can be sitting at the feet of Jesus and even more so. You can you can offer uh, grace and yeah. peace in the name of Jesus Christ behind a pulpit. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that really took studying at the feet of Jesus to understand that that was okay. Yeah. So that was really okay. I think for me, uh, when I think about this passage, uh, what that did for me, studying the feet of Jesus, I, like I said, I'd have been a good Pharisee. And so it took a lot in my life to understand that checking off the boxes and doing all these good things did not necessarily mean that I was in love with Christ. <laughs> right? right? So That's a good point. Yeah, it wasn't until later until I realized, wait, I could, well, I realized there was a dissonance. I was doing a lot of good things and I'm still a terrible person. And I'm like, this, this doesn't work real well. And, and like, I could go weeks without talking to Jesus at all, but I could go to church and I could go to Wednesday nights and I could, you know, give money to the poor and all that jazz. But my heart had not been, I mean, it just wasn't kindled to Mm -hmm. Christ. And so I had to, if if I want to induce a panic attack in myself, all I have to do is start questioning whether or not I love theology because I love God, or if I love theology, because it's just an interest study. Mm. and interesting in your mind really good point because because i just man every once in a while i just get to thinking man am i really am i really saved am i really sold out like i think i am or do i just do i just have this obsession with theology this the way you know video game nerds have an obsession with halo or something yeah um it's one of the most irritating phrases people can ever say to me but it's true but it's like what is it are you do you love God or what is that? What is that phrase that I hear people say? I can't remember what it is, but it's basically, you know, do you love God or are you just, you know, I, Lord, I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm having these moments stressed out. What is that phrase? Anyway, I'll think about it before we get off. Is it a religion or is it a relationship? Yeah, religion or relationship. That, that false dichotomy. I hate that yeah, false yeah, dichotomy, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Things like that when you're like, you know, it's not about the, yeah, the religion or the Anyway, um, what is it? Do you love Christ or do you? Oh, anyway, I'm going to give that one up because I'm just going to make a fool of myself. 
but by the next uh, lesson that we record, I promise you'll have it. Start out with it. Um, all right. Well, so that gets us done. We got one more lesson in February for next week, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yep. Repent or perish. So that'll be a good one. Um, Wait, did I write this one? No, I didn't. No, this is Becky. Becky got uh, last year, uh, February and March. And then March, I just yeah. saw that title and thought, oh, that's one of my titles. I think I, <laughs> I almost think I did that title too at some point. Yeah, you did. You titled it. Yeah. So anyway, um, thanks guys for listening. Thank you all for being a part. And uh, thank you, Sermonators. <laughs> and we'll be back. You're welcome. Thank you. See you next week. See ya. Bye.